Hey listeners, before you proceed into listening to this episode, I wanted to make sure you were aware of what you were walking into so that you can make the right choice for you about whether or not you want to listen to the entire episode. So this episode requires a content warning for mature content and some possibly triggering content as well. So Jen and I are going to get into a conversation about explicit misogyny, sexual violence, rape, rape culture, violence against women, um, in addition to some really heavy in the heart conversations about the way women are treated and some of the defense mechanisms that we've built over time to help protect ourselves. These are really challenging conversations and Jen and I struggled in having this conversation, knowing it was difficult, but also knowing it was important to put out there. Having said that, that does not mean that you have to listen. If you skip this episode, we don't think any different of you, and we definitely don't hold it against you. There are certain things that we are ready to handle, and there's certain things that we're not. And one of the things that we mention in this episode is that once you know these things, you can't unknow them. So if that's not a place that you're at yet, or a place that you're not ready for today, then don't listen. Whatever you need to do, to take care of yourself, to protect yourself, we support that choice. Thanks for being a listener. Hey. Bonjour. Hi. Ciao. Hola. Okay. Thanks for joining us for. You sow what you hope to reap. We are really glad you're here. Yes, we are. Um, So this is the part two of chapter four, and we felt it was really important to have this as a separate episode because of the content. When I first talked to Jen about this particular burn, I was concerned that it was going to be a little too, too intense or too, yeah, yeah intense for for a full episode so it kind of needed its own and Jen agreed sorry not to speak for you but like agreed that that this could be separate and then we can put an explicit warning on this episode so you're still getting the stuff from the chapter but if you choose to listen to this it is it's your choice it's your choice to, to subject yourself it's not your normal episode no and and this is really a, an area of personal interest for me like I I've always been very interested in true crime. And I think the thing that fascinated me that I didn't realize until we started doing this was the way that women are treated. And that was the thing over and over again, just made me angry again and again and again. And then it became almost like a, not an obsession, but like a, like a personal vendetta to like learn as much as I could to figure out why this keeps happening and why women are primary victims. So then you go through my my list of podcasts that I listen to, and it's like our podcast because I have to I have to make sure it's okay vet episodes, not because I'm <laughs> a narcissist. <laughs> but then the rest of them are all true crime and different different takes, and from a forensic perspective and from an investigative journalist perspective, I just I really want to learn. So one of the burns from this chapter in a discussion of the patriarchy. So during our book report for. Episode four, Jen mentioned that the 
the patriarchy ugh, <laughs> is is kind of broken into a bunch of subsections, one of those being explicit misogyny. Mm-hmm. So the example that it gives, and it's a very, I appreciate the that it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but it's also kind of a delicate way of, of handling it that's very current. Um, the Nagoski sisters say, one example of this, the explicit misogyny, is a reality TV star declaring he can grab a woman by the, I'm not going to say that word because I don't like it, whenever he wants because he's famous, and a flood of media coverage suggesting that this sort of thing is perfectly okay. Quote, just locker room talk. And that phrase now just irks me. Me too. Because it's one of those, I, I was thinking about this, the just claiming something is just locker room talk, I think is that form of gaslighting. I don't even know that it's gaslighting. It's just, it's a way to permit people to be mean. Yeah. Like I just, I'm thinking if, if you're offended by something, they'll be like, oh, it's just like, oh, it, I see what you're saying. Does I that, does that kind of make sense, yeah, it that, sense that it's used as an excuse for why it's okay, but then to make you feel like, oh, you don't understand this very specific subculture. But it, it's not even like you don't understand it it's like it, it we don't mean anything by it we just do this for fun because this is what room men do it yeah it's not because yeah. i don't think it's it's not necessarily saying you've done something or mm. trying to convince you that you haven't but it's more i think that's why it's so insidious it's, it's gross it is super yeah. gross so it goes on and the example provides that really is what stuck with me after reading this I told Jen I was at my son's judo and I'm reading the chapter and I had to stop here and I was like openly tears running down my face watching judo and I'm just gonna pretend that it was because I'm such an (laughs) such an hands-on parent and (laughs) just so touched by my child's growth which I 100% was but it, it bothered me so it references a young man who goes on a murderous rampage killing several people and injuring many more and justifies it by saying women refuse to have sex with him. Um, this, for me, was like a, a little alarm bell in my head. And this is where I, it made me feel sick to my stomach. I could think of three separate cases where I knew this was the MO. And I right. was like, oh, okay, that made me feel gross. So then I started doing my research. So the young man on a murderous rampage that they reference on page 82 happened in April 2018. So really not recent. that long. Yeah, like yeah. fairly recent. I remember hearing about this on the news. So super busy spe- street in Toronto. A man rents a big white van and he drives it down basically the sidewalk of this street and with the goal of killing as many people as possible. And I remember seeing this on the news and just being horrified at at what would inspire someone to just cause pain for the sake of causing pain. Mm -hmm. So when he was caught, he said that he was inspired what's called the incel movement. So incel is like a short term for individuals who label themselves as involuntarily celibate. Right. So they believe that it is rejection from various women throughout their life And that's the reason that they have not engaged in any sexual activity. So they're basically like... Blaming women instead. They're blaming women for their lack of sexual experience or for their virginity or for their inability to fulfill whatever desires that it's women's fault 
for being accessible, but not accessible enough for them. And then the response to that is to take life. It's, it's, it's a very, it seems like a very ridiculous jump. So it kind of spotlighted something that had, has this very, again, not to use the word again, but it it fits this very insidious online subculture of men in these chat rooms and groups that are talking about how victimized they are by women who have rejected them. So the Canadian government um, labeled this involuntary celibate movement as a violent misogynist worldview. And it has since been labeled as a terrorist action. Mm. Like other cases that have kind of built off of this. Um, And I like that this is, because we can talk about this. It's it's not something that's happening far away. This is Toronto. This is Canada. This is our Canadian government that is at least like, and it's through their website that I actually found a lot of these definitions and articles. So I mean, at least they're looking at it. So then that was 2018, 2020. A 17-year-old boy was so inspired by that 2018 case that he walked into a nail salon and stabbed a woman to death. He said he was inspired by that? He was inspired by the Vancouver case specific, or the, the sorry, the van case in Toronto. I wrote van here and immediately went Vancouver. Vancouver. And um, the incel movement. And when he was discovered further, he was part of a lot of those online chats and, and things that were part of that subculture of the involuntarily celibate movement. So in June of 2020, the BBC uh, published an article, um, and this is the first time that when this individual was, or when the case was actually looked at, it was deemed terrorism. So the 2018 was not deemed terrorism, but, but it kind of laid the was. groundwork for what the 2020 case would be. So any of the articles that I'll mention, I'm actually going to post in the caption of an Instagram post that we will um publish when we publish this episode. So I read both of these heartbreaking and it just, it's that anger all over again. And then I remembered that it wasn't the case that it made me think of. And then that just like, it's like a punch in the gut. Cause I was like, I knew about these ones, but that's not the one. Right. And the one that it made me think of this murderous rampage of killing people because you're mad at women mm-hmm. is the Isla Vista killings yeah. in California. Yeah. So that one uh, was in May 2014, so four years prior to the Toronto incident. And again, this um, I got a lot of my information from an article from The Guardian, which again will be posted in Teams. So 22-year-old man in Isla Vista, California, went on a killing spree. He killed six people and injured seven others. And I think from what I remember, because this was also covered on a podcast episode, it was over the course of a, a couple days, some of the, like, the deaths, like it happened very quickly. And then others were spread out. And then once it was looked at, it was this realization of, of the... Oh, right. Yes. How determined this individual was yeah. to cause pain. And this is a, a quote directly from that 22-year-old man. He was seeking retribution against the women who sexually rejected him. Mm -hmm. Um, He blamed his virginity on rejection by, quote, beautiful women. So that whole idea 
I think is why, and it's a quote that I had mentioned. Um, I don't remember exactly which episode, but the pretty is not the rent you pay to exist in a world that is marked for women. I remember you saying that. Yes. And that's what it makes like he's blaming being beautiful or, or stereotypically or aesthetically the concept of beauty as being why he is um, sexually inexperienced or, or whatever it is. It's just. Well, I mean, you're talking about cases where like, this is explicit, explicit misogyny, just to be perfectly clear. So yes. like a, 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 a hatred of women that is acted upon. And it, I think we hear about these stories in the news, but we don't ever really, I mean, we think they're terrible and they are, of they course. are terrible. Yeah. But we don't really think about the underlying reasons, right? But and it's, and it's when you see all of them kind of like laid out in almost chronological order that there is this through line that, that maybe we didn't want to, don't want to see, but it's so clear. Like it was hard for me to just ignore. Yeah. Um, well, and this is the reason why you have to make sure that you broaden your horizons in terms of the media that you consume, right? If you're always getting yes. the same information from similar groups, then it's difficult to have It's that, that confirmation bias. Yes. And that's, the, yeah. and that's, I guess, the problem with a lot of social media in the cookies, mm-hmm. right? Is you, you just keep getting more of that content that you access without getting those alternate viewpoints. So yeah, going to multiple sources, I that's... I think that's fantastic advice no matter what you're researching. But I think depending on the news outlet or news media, these cases could be like the New York Times in that Toronto van incident. Incident. The New York Times ran um, an opinion editorial about whether it is something that we can put on women mm. for rejection. Like and in like suggesting that you could in and so they so they say um, the New York Times ran an op-ed that unjokingly argued that redistribution of sex that is sex for men with women was a reasonable idea and I went and read oh, the article and and they're not it's not this staunch opposition to what this person did and while well well yes they condemn the the death and and the killing and the violence. But not necessarily the ideas behind it. Yeah. So now you're running into the internal, internalized misogyny. Yes. Right? I'm so glad that you, because you brought up those a couple, like the explicit, implicit, and internalized yeah. misogyny. Yes. Um, so this whole, when you look at them all together, I, I take it as the sense of entitlement that is a direct result of the patriarchy. Likely, yes. That like it, that men are entitled to this thing by by women and that we are supposed to just willingly right by some rights that have been predefined for some reason no reason other than you're a man and you just deserve it yes and then what it has turned into and i think maybe we can potentially rate this to this or relate this right to this like anger at women for pushing back because then, then we are like hey i I'm not an object. Stop treating me like an object. And we push back. And then the other side becomes angry because we're taking away something that they believe they are owed. Yes, that they're entitled to. And that's this back and forth, this pushback. And I think that's where so much of the anger comes from. 
and disrupting disrupting status the status quo or bucking the status quo is going to cause these ripples that I don't know if we can fully foresee how what the effects they're going to have and and it's um it's a humbling thing to think about that like yes but it also doesn't mean that you don't buck the status quo no but I understand the fear oh there is a big fear as we sit here and talk openly about it but I think at at some points at least during my journey I don't want to speak for you but I felt that fear of being like well maybe I should maybe I should take a step back or maybe I should I feel that all the time yeah okay yeah Yeah. (sighs) so does this mean we're like we're like extra strong hiding in this office just the two of us (laughs) talking about and it's it's tough so I wanted to make sure that we brought this back around to that it's not just a conversation about how dark and horrible the world is which I mean a hundred percent there are there are some very dark cases yes there are some cases but this is um this is some very pointed examples of how the game is rigged against us Mm -hmm. And that we, as women, and again, once you know, you can't unknow, we live to a certain degree in a state of fear for our own safety. Like I think about, okay, after parent-teacher interviews, if you stay and chat, I had a parent last semester that wanted to chat for a little bit longer, which actually I love. Like I'm, I'm perfectly happy to chat with a parent, but it meant I was walking out to my vehicle alone in the dark. Every part of me is is saying, no, mm-hmm. no. Call my husband, talk to him on the phone as if yeah. that is some some way of, of, of helping or wait for someone to walk you out. The fact that universities have programs where security or, or responsible vetted other students will walk you to your vehicle after mm-hmm. classes at night. I, I mean, this was a conversation actually with um, our dear friend, David Fuller that he said when he first understood why women in his life holding a bottle of beer at like out at a bar would put their thumb in the top of the beer bottle as they would walk around, he thought it was just like silly. I think he said at first it was like a way of holding onto it. And when he actually asked and found out the reason Mm. was that so no one can actually put something in your drink, he said like his response, like even remembering it was so visible mm-hmm. how much it shocked him. And then that realization that those are, you know, maybe not every day, but consistent occurrences for, it, for us as women. For sure. Consistent. Yeah. yeah. And the, I think what we're ultimately talking about is the fact that we have to do that. Yes. Rather than hey, it's inappropriate to put something in someone's drink or it's inappropriate to jump someone when they're walking to their car. Yes. You don't have the right to do those things. But the fact that women have to protect themselves against that is just, that's the problem, right? This exactly. Stuff, it still happens. Yep. There's not enough consequence for it. No. And we're not saying that, you know, like you're pretty much guaranteed to experience this. Not at all. But I mean, it's, I think, few men that do that kind of thing, but they're still out there. Absolutely. And I mean, you talked about the reality TV star at at the beginning there. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what's modeled on TV. That's what we hear about in the media. And Mm -hmm. people learn that if you're rich enough and famous enough and macho enough, you can get away with that kind of stuff, right? And I think the, the Brocks, the Jeffries, the Donalds of the world use their 
maleness to validate their actions. Yeah, and they then do. they they do the Andrews of the world. They that one, and that one and and I'm being careful because I don't I'm not necessarily I get that we push back. There's going to be pushback the other way. But the messaging that comes from all of these these groups is that we are supposed to be quiet. That that you know th- these things don't happen. The hashtag not all men. Yep. Well, of course it's not all men. Again, and we have not. said this before, and I'll say it again: being a feminist, tackling misogyny, does not mean we hate men. Mm-hmm. But we cannot ignore the fact that instead of actually being able to stop these things from happening, women systemically over time have developed coping mechanisms to protect ourselves because yeah. we cannot depend on someone else to do it for us. Right, and the re- it, and the fact that you develop and utilize those coping mechanisms takes mental, physical, and emotional time. Yes. Which contributes to burnout, which is what the book is about, of Mm -hmm. course. Um, But it's always in the back of your mind. Yes. And they talk about it, like they, the Nagoski sisters talk about it as multiple incomplete stress cycles. Yes. So every time you have to um, switch what side of the street you're walking on or call your dad or your husband or some man so you can hear it. So whoever's following you or potentially making you feel uncomfortable in your vicinity can hear that male voice on the phone. There's actually, there's a dad on TikTok that he fake has a conversation with his daughter so that you can record the audio and play the video as Uh, if you're, or play the video as, as if you're talking to him. And of course he's this big, very deep voice. Like he's a big dude and and a, like a voice where you're like oh that guy means business and I yeah. don't know how people get that in their voice but he does with the distinct purpose of using it if you ever felt unsafe so he's got one if you're in an uber on the way home and you feel unsafe because he's asking things like so where are you now like what street are you on oh okay so you'll be home in like how many minutes and you play it loud enough that whoever that is on the other side can hear that conversation so it's it's giving you all of these kind of safeguards for your safety. So there are men that are 100% aware and that are actively doing things to help, which I look at those as just with like, I'm, I'm proud that like, yes, thank you. And whoever that, that family's dad, husband, father, whatever is like, that's a family that feels safe. And I'm like, good for you. <laughs> that's amazing. So before we get into the incomplete stress cycles, one of the things that really made this so palpable for me because I know I'm aware of it. I've been aware of it for a long time and I I don't know if I've ever been at a place where I've really as openly talked about it as we're talking about it right now. But I remember it coming up in an English 30 classroom and this was a a years ago. So I don't, I apologize if the student, if like this student is like, Hey, that was me that said that. Like I genuinely, I think the shock of the conversation, I don't remember, but I do remember that we were talking about the consequences of what happens. Like our our actions inevitably have consequences, this whole cause and effect structure. But I remember a a male student saying that, you know, walking in these dark spaces, like, yeah, my biggest fear is like, like, what if I die? Like, what if my life is taken from me? And while that felt so raw and palpable and like, yes, of course, I remember female students saying that, death is not the thing that we are most scared of as women. And it, it knocked me off my feet. Cause I was like, Oh my God, she's right. Mm-hmm. All of the things that would happen before that 
I'm far more terrifying yep. and I, I don't want to list them, but, and I have them written down for myself. And as soon as I looked at it, I, I'm not addressing them. But if you are a woman, you know, and if you don't know, ask someone cause I, I can't. And it's, this is a 17 year old girl. Yeah. That's aware. That's wild. It is wild. And I mean, there's statistics on likelihood not likelihood of historically what has happened. And I will include some of these statistics in, in our Instagram. Um, so if you choose to look at them, if you choose to have that knowledge again, once you know, you can't unknow. So approach with caution. Um, but back to these incomplete stress cycles, because again, this is just that extra layer of, of the things that we, that we fear, that we worry about. Um, are you okay, my friend? Yeah. Sorry, I've I've thought about this so much, and I don't mean to seem like callous, because I know I'm just running through it. It's like this is my way of coping. No, it's good. Yeah. All that's going through my mind is I keep returning to the coping mechanisms. And yeah. then, so the the fact that women need to think about that kind of thing and that we can, as a society, just say, well, yeah, we'll go be with a buddy, mm -hmm. um, call ahead, make, let people know where you are. It, the problem, I mean, yes, that's a solution to the problem, but it, the problem is still there. Yeah, it, it, there, it's the whole, the band-aid metaphor of like, we're band-aiding the, the problem without actually solving it. But we're not even band-aiding the problem. I guess band-aiding would mean it's not happening right. anymore. Like it's not. It, yeah. It, and I mean, I know we're not going to change anything through this one conversation, but no. I mean, it's, I love that there are men out there that are producing oh. these TikTok videos. Yep. And but, men in our building why, that we work with that are aware. There shouldn't have to be men out there that are producing TikTok videos. <laughs> yes. There shouldn't be men in our lives that say, I will protect you against these bad guys. Because there's not a lot of bad guys. Nope. Right? And sometimes they're actually glorified in the media, right? Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. they take up a lot of our time, but they continue to be able to do what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. So, sorry. This I, she asked if I was okay because I had a look of, like, painful disgust on my face so. well this this whole conversation is painfully disgusting it's not a good so one. but what I wanted to draw your attention to um not not you Jen that sounded real bossy <laughs> <laughs> but I, I recently watched um a documentary um on Netflix brand new it's got it got a lot of attention off the bat called American Nightmare okay have you have you seen it no oh, approach good. with caution but three episodes, which I appreciate, like give me what I need to know. And the way that they structure it alone shows me how aware they are of how poorly this case was handled. Okay. Like, so they kind of mimic the episodes after how it was handled. And I thought that okay. was because you're kind of on this journey with them, with them. Okay. So the story centers on a couple, Denise Huskins and Aaron Quinn. In March of 2015, um, a unknown individual broke into their house, woke them in the night by shining a flashlight in their face at gunpoint, 
tied them up, uh, gave them, like, forced them to drink a mix of, like, NyQuil and something else to make them, like, drowsy or whatever, and then kidnaps Denise. Hmm. So, um, Aaron, the, and the boyfriend at this time, um, finally wakes up the next day because again like he's been given um something that's made him very sleepy so he wakes up the next day i guess the kidnappers had given him a bunch of like don't do this don't do this like a lot of instructions so that fear of waking up realizing his girlfriend is gone that fear of what could happen to her all of those things he finally ends up calling the police and you hear his police phone call his 911 phone call he is brought in for questioning and accused of murdering oh, her. No. So the whole thing um, is is investigating him. So you think it's him to begin with, because I think in in eighty percent of 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 cases, it's an intimate right. partner. So right. I mean, I, I don't necessarily blame law enforcement for looking right. at him, but they look at him. No one actually investigates the kidnapping. Wow. They don't look for the kidnappers. Wow. They don't take in, into account any of the stuff that, that Aaron is providing until Denise is released by her kidnappers in a different part of... This happens in California. So she's kidnapped in Northern California, released in Southern California. Okay. Or vice versa. No, I think that's right. She's released. She goes to the police, even though her kidnappers instructed her not to and threatened to come get her again. The bravery that this woman shows throughout this whole thing. Like, she is a freaking force to be reckoned with. She goes to the police without speaking to Aaron first and gives the exact same story. They do not believe them. The media labels them as hoaxes. They say that they fabricated the entire thing. And and a, a rape kit is done on Denise because she was sexually assaulted twice during her kidnapping. Mm -hmm. And even with that information, it's they were labeled as as doing it for attention. Really? Yeah. And just the way that she is treated is to me was such a kind of a template for how a lot of women who come forward with allegations of sexual assault are treated. They're not believed. So then you get stories from other women from two, three, four, five years prior with the exact same story as Denise, minus the kidnapping, okay. but the circumstances of the, the break and enter and the home invasion and, and to some degree, some of the assaults, the same stories, but none of those women were believed by police either. Interesting. They were, they were made to feel like, oh, you know, like, I think you're being, maybe it was probably very scary, but like it it probably didn't happen quite the way you remember. And they were talked out of pressing any type of charges, never investigated. So, and this is what I love. This is where I, I, I like get excited. So a Sergeant, um, named Misty Caruso. And I want to make sure we say her name because like her and her in, in the show is just this, like this refusal to back down. So she became a police officer because when she was younger, one of her best friends was assaulted. Okay. So she becomes a cop with the distinct purpose of trying to like be a voice. Yes. Um, this is her first case as a detective. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and she finds pieces of things and, and really just does not back down. 
mm-hmm. doesn't back down. And it's it's her that finally kind of opens us up. And I don't want to, I don't want to give away anything, but um, starting, so this happened in 2015. Once the police kind of start catching on cases that, that really red flag this guy go back to 20, 2009. Oh no. Six years of, of, of this guy being like, oh, that's weird. Oh, that's not normal. Oh, he's connected to this. Right. But just brush under the rug while this woman, Denise and her now, like they're, they're interviewed together at, at the end of it, which is nice to see them to like together, um, are labeled as attention seeking. Right. And that like, oh yeah, like they, you know, they're making up a story and the movie Gone Girl had come out around that time. So they actually labeled her. So if you look up the Gone Girl case, it'll reference the movie, but it's actually talking about Denise Huskins. So she tells us in her, when she's interviewed um, for the documentary, that this is actually the third time in her life that she had been assaulted. Wow. At 12, at 19, and again at 22 or 23. Um, She talks about how, like, women's bodies are are seen as just bodies that were not seen as people, which, and this is a little bit of a, a tangent, but a really incredible novel by Tanahisi Coates called Between the World and Me. He's, um, on his 40th birthday, he writes basically this novel for his son about what it is to be a black man growing up in America. Mm-hmm. And the metaphor that he introduces is that black people are just black bodies. And this is the case for lots of persons of color, for, for women, for like, he definitely lists a lot of those marginalized populations. And when it's just a body, you, you don't treat it the same way as when it's a person. It's true. And that, I thought that really, that really spoke to me in terms of, of how we invalidate. And it goes back to the tall tree thing that we talked about in our episode. So this quote from Denise, I really appreciate. She said, I don't know what needs to happen to any woman for them to be believed. Yep. And, and that her, her strength is, oh, like is inspiring because after everything she's gone through, she still does this documentary. Mm-hmm. She approaches a media who had previously victimized her, like, or, or made her out to be this right. like monster. So it's, it's, it does have like a somewhat pleasing conclusion. So like, I'm not sending you into the trenches to like stay there, but it does have um, a, a vindicating moment at the end, which made me feel okay walking away from it and then bringing it into this conversation. But it really, everything that she says is like incomplete stress response, incomplete, like all of these incomplete moments that are these very significant moments in her life that are never addressed and they just accumulate and accumulate. And she, she doesn't necessarily use the word burnout, but she uses the word hopeless. And in those conversations, I'm like, she's a lot of women I know in that, like these fears and these barriers that we have to hit do just make us feel like, what now, what do I do? Well, where I do think, we go? I think that's, that's poignant because hopeless is the word we use instead of burnout, because as soon as you say burnout, the response a lot of time is what could you possibly be burnt out for? Oh like, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you are feeling burnt out. Absolutely. Exhausted. But 
you're you're not entitled to burnout. Like you don't even work hard in the day, right? Yeah. So and like, well, you wanted to be a mother. You're working your dream job. Like, how mm-hmm. could how could that burn you out? Yeah. Doesn't that fulfill you? <laughs> Why can't it be both things at the same exactly. time? Yeah. Like, yeah. So the the quote from um, Emily and Amelia Nagoski is that those constant low level stream of stressors that are out of your control accumulate. And they accumulate they yeah. to cause burnout. And this goes back to that very first chapter when it just identifies that the barriers for women to achieve um, their, like, finding their meaning in life are just, there's a lot more barriers. And, again, this is extreme example. And the explicit misogyny is not all the time. And it's not every day. But it's it's enough. And I think... To some degree, I really, I wanted to talk about it so that if there was someone out there that had maybe caught on to some of these connections, but through themselves or someone else had kind of convinced themselves that like, no, 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 like I'm just, I'm overanalyzing it or like I'm, I'm thinking too deeply about it again. What does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean to think too deep? Again, obsessing about something, totally different. Mm-hmm. Thinking too deeply about something. No. no. Yeah. You're critically analyzing your situation, which I think is a fundamental human skill to not just float by in the world. Like well, you actually engage in the world. I don't know that it is a fundamental human oh. skill, but it should be. Oh, sh- thank you. I was like, yes. oh, really? I didn't want to be wrong. But it's no, been- you're not wrong. It should be. <laughs> it should. And that's, I think, why I push so hard in my classes. Like, please, please look at the things around you and actually think about them. Like, think about it. Yeah. Well, then just be like open to listening to other people oh, like just because you don't yes. agree with them doesn't mean that they're wrong Mm-mm. right and no and it also doesn't mean that you're right oh my gosh very very yeah. true and this is why this is where I appreciate being able to bring this stuff to you and and I want us to have that honest conversation you always give me that that like well maybe it's not exactly this but maybe it's this like we that push of like I, I learn through these conversations as much as I'm like feel like I'm bringing stuff to the table. Well, I think, I think this type of dialogue is a very good way to learn. Mm. Right. Yeah. And if we remove the ability for that to happen, if you, if you allow yourself to only associate with people that have the same points of view as you, or, um, you know, you get comfortable in being, um, your own way and, yeah. and you're comfortable rejecting people who don't prescribe to your, I mean, I guess we could say worldview, but it, that might even be more broad. Right. Yeah. Um, then you don't, you don't learn and grow because you don't have mm-hmm. these conversations. And this, and I feel like we keep coming back to this, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm like, high f- like give self high five. Cause I'm like, good, good on us. That stagnancy. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's so important that we continue to, to grow and ask questions and expose ourselves to various viewpoints. I think in the end, it all just helps us learn more about ourselves. And I think that, that, that search for meaning, I think those are those steps towards it to, at least for some people, like that's been really helpful for me personally in identifying what my, what I deem to be my purpose or what my something larger is in life. Like after you explained, like did that worksheet and you're something larger, it took me until yesterday to finally figure out how to answer those three questions. Yeah. 
and it, and but then you I was did like, it. I did it. Yes, <laughs> but it felt there's a vulnerability in it too, and I was like, mm-hmm. but then I, I I did I felt confident enough about it to post it on my own social media and be like. But it was Good like... For you. I gotta go look at it then. Yeah. Was it a story that I missed? It should still be up. It's been less than 24 hours. Because okay. again, it took me until like last night to be like, I'm doing this now. Because <laughs> it's... um, I think acknowledging that there are those barriers. Acknowledging that the game is rigged. Once you can kind of wrap your head around that, there's still those searches for like joy and meaning and stuff. Yeah. Despite that you are still, we're allowed to feel two things at the same time. We can acknowledge that the game is rigged and that it's difficult, but we can still do those little, like, little mini smashes here and there. Mini smashes. Little patriarchy smash here. Little patriarchy mm-hmm. smash here. So, yeah, that's that's everything. I Thank you for this. I, like, this was burning a hole in my being because I was like, mm, just, I, I, mm. Gotta get it out. I gotta get it out. I gotta get it out. Well, and I mean, you brought reference to many different instances of really horrific mm. cases. And those, I mean, you talked about, I think, three, but those are not, I mean, there's so many more, right? Oh, and I, and yeah. I think the, the thing we really need to think about is that when these cases are presented in the media, I believe the general feeling is that there was something wrong with that person that there was something wrong with that guy that he did that and there yes there is but But access to those extremist viewpoints right it's not just it's not just that person no it's it is due to these extremist viewpoints which are like which the fact that those extremist viewpoints i think can find a place to exist within this patriarchal structure. Right. And the, the other within the within the patriarchal spru- structure as you mm-hmm. mentioned, they're they're not actually dealt with in a way that they're considered to be um negative. And they <laughs> are. They really yes. are. So it it is that whole idea of misogyny is the police force of the patriarchy Mm -hmm. you know when you see examples like this and if someone is saying like like i am sexist i am misogynist i don't think that person is a good person right their intent is not it's not a positive one no their intent is to perpetrate the problems of the patriarchy and i'm saying this like this is the bad part of it. Not all people prescribe to the bad part of it. But but when people do and they openly express that uh, we because we're men we should be allowed to continue doing this, that mm-hmm. is not good. It's not yeah. good for the entire population. And there's I mean the the Andrews of the world, mm-hmm. if we will, has a very young fan base. Mm-hmm. And for some of these young men who, who go to our school, who will say that they follow him. I think the thing that if I could, in a safe environment, in a, an environment of learning and not of confrontation, I would say identifying yourself as a follower of this individual makes the women in your life fear you. Mm. And if that's what you want, I'd take a look at that. But maybe they're not aware that that perception is because they're looking at it as like, yeah, that this person is validating how I feel and some of my frustrations, but you are making 
like as like a, in a heteronormative structure, you're making future women in your life, your, your mother, your aunts, your cousin, maybe even your teachers. Take that step back and, and in the sense that like, okay, that's, that's not a totally safe place right? to, to, for me to exist exactly the way that I am. And we end up changing ourselves. Yep. Like I, I noticed that I will use my coach voice in the classroom to speak in that, like, I'll do this voice mm-hmm. as like a, like, as I'm giving instructions, like you line up on that line yes, and we, you, yeah. we are like, we're doing ladders, no bitching, no complaining. You run until you throw up. Like, like why do <laughs> I default into that voice? I think in situations where I need to posture again, benefiting from the patriarchy. Wow. Exactly. That's internalized misogyny, right? You change your behaviors. <laughs> yes. Um, you you actually abandon your more feminine, mm-hmm. well, what are defined as more feminine qualities to avoid being hurt and to fit in better in this yeah. in this construct, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not, the thing that's not right about it is mm. that there's only a very small number of people that don't have to change their behaviors to fit into this. Mm-hmm. construct and yeah. I think they might argue that that's not true because mm-hmm. you know they they have to put up appearances or whatever it is but the thing is should you really be allowed to just use women for their bodies this is the leisure? headwinds tailwinds yes. asymmetry that like yeah. but this is the way it's always been and like what and why like why no, change like, it down yeah why change things are working fine the way they are for you yeah for you yeah <laughs> I hate that word so much. (laughs) Sorry, my personal goal in just in life is to take words that like those stupid and my grade 12s know this because I go to them and I'm like, okay, what cool teenagery phrase do you have that I'm going to ruin for you today? (laughs) But I think that's a decent goal, actually. Just to make us aware of the words that we use. I know. But bruh, bruh, bro, like... Do they all mean different things when you pronounce them differently? Who knows? I don't I've know. decided to use bro, like very specifically bro and girl as very gender neutral terms. And I use them indistinguishably for any any individual that I interact with. And like sometimes like kids are a little like thrown off and I'm like, girls, gender neutral, relax. Like, uh-huh. But like how many times do we use the word guys? Yeah, we do. Right? right? And it, well, we've it, talked it, about this, and that's a, yes. another episode as well, but just the language that you use. So this is me being like, I'm going to subvert what we think about the language. Oh. And like people are like, oh, guys is a gender neutral. Well, then so is bro. And so go. is girl in my world, in my teeny tiny world. In my world. Well, um, but it's interesting. I mean, you can, I guess we can do that. <laughs> right? I mean, someone created language. That's true. So like... Maybe it continued. I mean, it's evolved over time. Well, like if I look at language evolve. evolution. It does evolve, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I'm, I'm super grateful for you. Thank you for this. Well, and I'm proud of you for having the courage to talk about it. And I, to I, gather, I mean, you gathered a lot of information there and mm-hmm. put it together in such a way that it was, I mean, you made it contextually relevant. And I think that that's important. It was, Shane was really supportive during this research process because he, he saw me struggling. It's, it's heavy. It's heavy. Well, I struggled even listening to you. I know. Good thing we don't have this on video. 
Yeah, this is not a video record. Ep- no. One day, maybe, we will record our episodes, but it was not this episode. Not this episode. <laughs> not this episode. So, we say goodbye. Yeah. Was this your bonus episode goodbye? Is I that- feel like that might be inappropriate for this episode. Oh my, you're right. 100%. Okay, well, I'll say this. I hope, whoever you are who's listening, you do what you need to to take care of yourself. You find people that you love, that love you, and that you can lean on for support. And while I think to some degree we're conditioned to believe that someone else needs to save us or protect us, I think there's a lot of taking care of ourselves and protecting ourselves that we can do without needing the help of anybody else. But most importantly is to take care of your like well-being, your heart, your soul, Find your meaning, do what you need to do to take care of you, and just know that there's people that see you. I see you. I see you. I see you, plural. <laughs> Which doesn't have a DS, an S at the end of it, but is plural. Very confusing for English language learners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, we will see you in a couple weeks for our episode five on chapter five. And until then, find um, your meaning and find your strength. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thank you.